we are live once again with an even more special than usual Saturday edition of Canucks Hour here live on day three, the final day of Canucks training camp here in Whistler. It's myself, Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. It's Canucks Hour, and we are, as always, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We've got a really, really exciting uh, edition of the show today. We're going to be on air here on Sportsnet 650 in some capacity between right now, 11, and 2 o'clock this afternoon. At 12.30, 12.40, thereabouts, as I get out a vicious, vicious sneeze to start the show. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, at God bless you, sir. At 12.30 or 12.40 <laughs> uh, or thereabouts, our guy Brendan Batchelor will hop on to do a little play-by-play uh, for the scrimmage that they're going to have here today. Drancer. And, look, we, we anticipated this. It's been a great crowd, great attendance from the Canucks faithful uh, in this neck of the woods for the entire training camp so far. And, yeah, I mean, we're 90 minutes away from the scrimmage, from kind of the main event, and already it's basically standing room only here at the Meadow Park Sports Center. So it's going to be a, a really great atmosphere. Excited to see what happens on the ice today. Right now, Group C is on the ice, getting close to finishing up their practice for the day. That includes the likes of Bo Horvat, Connor Garland, Vasily Podkolzin, Jack Rathbone, Travis Dermott. Now, we will not see this group participate in the scrimmage. They've already scrimmaged the last two days, so it'll be, I believe, Group A and B scrimmaging. But you'll still get JT Miller's line, Elias Pettersson's line, Niels Hoaglander, Quinn Hughes, OEL. Still plenty of notable big names that are going to be taking part in the scrimmage. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm very excited that we're doing three distinct Canucks hours yes, today. Very, are. very, very excited about that. This is this might be the most interesting scrimmage day from my perspective for, for the following reason. The JT Miller group, right, which features Oliver ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes mm-hmm. playing on his right side, um, you know, that group is now going to be in a spot where they're the lambs to slaughter team, right? They're the schedule loss. To this point, to this point, the tired scrimmage team has lost both both days. And and at no point was the result close in either, right? Like the the result was never in doubt in either game. Yeah. So you've got this sort of heir apparent group now facing uh, or sorry, they're they're the group that should win today. They're the group that should win today. They're going to be the fresh group. Is the JT Miller group? No, that's not right. They're I'm they're not. they're getting on the ice at eleven thirty, so Got they'll it, okay. do their hard practice. So this is the schedule loss day yeah. for the Canucks' most like their top line at training camp. But but most importantly, it's the schedule loss day for Quinn Hughes and Oliver Ekman Larson. Going to be put in a really tough spot today with a hungry Pedersen line. Right, like Kuzmenko yeah. is here with something to prove. Right, you can kind of. You kind of know that the veterans in particular are pacing themselves, right? These games are not all, or these days are not all equally high leverage for everyone who's here. The guys who have the most to prove, right, are guys sort of at the fringes of the lineup or guys like Niels Hoaglander, well, Niels Hoaglander who really have a case to make, or guys like Mikhaev who have, like, you know, a real job to compete for and a, and a real first impression of yeah, that might result in premium opportunities. Yeah. But for a guy like JT Miller, for a guy like Pearson, for a guy like Brock Besser, right? Really, this is a ramp up. These are ramp up days. What really matters for you is going to be, well, obviously the start of the regular season, but the second half of the second week of preseason is sort of when you start to gear up a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see this group 
play a schedule loss game against probably the hungriest group, like the group with the most guys who have something to prove, right? Danny DeKaiser on a PTO. That's the other guy who stands out to me on the blue line, right? for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Niels Amon and Niels Hoaglander are guys who are sort of, you know, fringe roster guys still hoping to make a case over the course of the next 10 days. You've got Mikhaev and Kuzmenko trying to make a first impression, and in Kuzmenko's, you know, uh, case, like really trying to... Make sure that he starts with premium opportunities in his first NHL season. And you have Elias Pettersson, who is, has been the exception to the rule about veterans not necessarily being at the top of their game so far. He's been the best player consistently. He's so got something to prove. As much as he, as much as his his spot on the roster of the lineup is not in question, he's playing as if he has something to prove right now. Hundred percent, he is. So this is a really interesting assignment for Group A because we we have to talk about it, right? We finally got a chance to see Quinn Hughes in a like structured game environment. Yeah. Granted, a, a first training camp scrimmage on the right side. And this was not, you know, instant reaction, right? This was not, oh, wow, Quinn Hughes on the right side. This is going to be amazing. Home, home run out of the park. Home right run. Right. No, no, this was, oh, this might take a bit, right? And you, you just don't know. Like, it's such a big adjustment in terms of passing angles, in terms of, you know, exactly how the game looks when you're rushing the puck. And when you're a player like Quinn Hughes and you do a ton of dynamic stuff on the left side, you know, it's all about timing. It's all about precision, right? The extent to which Quinn Hughes exerts gravity on the game, you know, is by sort of winning a, a 5% extra margin moment time and time and time and time yeah. again. And, you know, it's going to take him some time. The, the passes weren't crisp on the right side. He didn't look comfortable skating up sort of the, the right side of the rink when he was rushing the puck. He kept drifting diagonally, kept drifting to the left side. His instincts are pretty clearly to attack from that space as opposed to from the right side. So, you know, being put in this spot against the hungriest group with a schedule loss on the line, how does he hold up? Yeah. What what exactly does this look like? What more information do we glean about this Quinn Hughes right side experiment today? That's going to be fascinating and, to watch. And what signs of progress and how does it look different than what we saw point. yesterday, right? Because here's the thing with Quinn Hughes. I think probably anybody who's watched him has absolutely no doubt that given enough time, he'll figure it out, and he'll be fantastic on the right side. 100%. I think the question is not, can he do it? The question is, will it progress by the start of the regular season to the point where you think it's your optimal way to configure the blue line, right? Because you know you have a way to get incredible performance out of Queen Hughes, and that's play him on the left side. You know he's going to be a machine there. So the question is not, can he eventually figure out how to be good on the right side? It's, can he do it quickly enough so you feel comfortable moving him away from the spot where you know he's going to be really good? Now, I will say, I'm really curious to see what he does in the scrimmage today, because one of the hallmarks of Quinn Hughes in the NHL transfer, for me, has been the ability to just kind of rapidly adapt and incorporate new information and new experiences into his game and get better before our very eyes. And even yesterday in the scrimmage, as you said, you know, there were a lot of moments early where he'd get the puck in the defensive zone and he would kind of, on the right side, and he would kind of naturally shade over to the left or to the middle. Spacing was a little awkward. It didn't look fluid. There was a moment late in the scrimmage where, similar scenario, picks up the puck in the defensive zone on the right side, starts to skate toward the left side, spins back away from the forechecker, and creates acres of space for himself to skate up the right wing. That's just one play in 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 a training camp scrimmage, but it was those kinds of early signs of progress that you want to see. Again, the question for me is not, can he figure it out? Can he be effective there? The question is, is it going to happen fast enough to justify moving your best defender to a new position? Yeah, it's it's an if not when, or sorry, it's a when not if question. Yeah. But, you know, I sort of look up and down 
this lineup as they've configured themselves at training camp and see a lot of those, right? I see a lot of, um, you know, when, not ifs going on. And I'll just take you through a variety of them, right? I see, you know, the Kuzmenko experiment, right? Kuzmenko, I think, has the skill set to be a really dynamic contributor for this team offensively. But we've seen some, you know, things that are also, you know, caution flags yep. in terms of exactly where his game's going to be right off the hop, right? There, there are some, you know, fitness and pace things that aren't going to be there in December but seem to be there at the moment. Uh, and there are some defensive awareness things that similarly I don't think are going to hold him back come December 15th but could hold him back on October 12th. And so you've got sort of a player who I think is going to take this. This probably isn't going to be a day one. Kuzmenko is a huge difference maker or, or a guy who can help a good team win games in the NHL, um, you know, on day one. He's going to probably need a little bit of patience, um, you know, versus. And then the, and this sort of stakes are raised by how Niels Hoaglander has performed. Yep. And, we'll, and we'll get into this more, but... You know, Niels Hoaglander has done similarly dynamic things, right, but without any of those caution flags, right? His fitness level is through the roof. He's looked like one of the fastest players at camp. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that there are defensive issues in his game that need to be ironed out, but he's also a third-year NHL guy, right? There's also a lot of hope, I think. You should, like, realistic hope that he's improved that aspect of his game. Uh, you look at sort of the defensive group beyond Quinn Hughes, right? You look at... You know, uh, Danny DeKaiser, uh, how exactly uh, Tucker Pullman and, and Travis Dermott are going to adjust. You look at Jack Rathbone, right? And, and is he going to be ready right out of the gate? And you think about the t importance of starting well for this team. You think about what this team's ambitions are. The roster's sort of littered with when, not ifs. And can they afford to go into the season sort of being patient with some experiments? Here's another one. Jason Dickinson at center, right? right? Jason Dickinson at center versus Curtis Lazar is a fascinating sort of uh, test case for me because the organization's big picture interests, right, long-term interests are best served by having Jason Dickinson in the opening night lineup, and yet can you configure a fourth line with something like Lazar, DiGiuseppe, and Joshua, or Lazar Hoaglander, should Kuzmenko stick in the top nine, uh, you know, Lazar Hoaglander and Joshua, right? Can you configure a fourth line that is a really interesting energy group you for sure can, and it might be better, even though Jason Dickinson's had great jump at training camp. Can this organization afford to take the big-picture view, considering the moves that they've done to prioritize making the playoffs this season? That's sort of the big overarching question that I have coming out of camp, is some of this stuff looks like it might take some time. Do they have time to invest in that, or do they need to, or is winning time sort of right the now. more important priority? Yeah. And this is another fascinating dynamic because you've got a first-year management group, but you've got a coach on the last year of his deal. So exactly how this plays out, do they end up sort of in a compromise spot where some things are win now, some things are longer view? Like how exactly does this play out over the next few weeks? That's sort of the big question, the, the big sort of like uh, big picture view storyline that's, that's sticking out to me as I process what we've seen in Whistler over the course of two and a half training camp days so far. And I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Niels Hoaglander at some point because to me, the two big on ice, and as you said, viewing both of them to a certain degree through that kind of overarching perspective, but the two big on ice storylines have been one, Niels Hoaglander, who we'll get back to, and then also the Quinn Hughes OEL pairing, and not just that pairing in and of itself and how it's playing, but what effect the success or failure of that experiment has 
on the rest of the blue line, right? And it really is just keep, I keep coming back to the fact that there's not going to be an easy way to configure what you have on this blue line. We all know they did not make changes on the blue line. You're coming back with basically the same personnel group uh, that you had last year. And, you know, the messaging from Bruce Boudreaux, and it hasn't just been messaging, we've seen it play out on the ice, is that he's going to give a lot of these these uh, trials that we're seeing play out, the experiments play out. He's going to give them time, right? He's going to keep them together for preseason games. You know, whether it's the Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev line, OEL and Quinn Hughes, this is not, okay, it didn't work in one training cramps, training camp scrimmage. We're done with it. No. We're going to get a chance to really show what they can do. And I especially look at the blue line, and I think, yeah, it, it, it does make, th- there's a reason they were keen to try it. It makes things a lot easier because if you decide to abandon it and, and you go back, you know what, Quinn Hughes has to be on the left side, and we're not even going to try OEL on the right side, which I think could make a lot of sense as well, but we're going to go back to Quinn Hughes and, and OEL both playing on the left side on separate pairs, well, the domino effect that has down the rest of the blue line, you know, you're essentially left with last year's defense. And my perspective coming into training camp has been that both Travis Dermott and Jack Rathbone are two of your six most talented defensemen. Yep. And you have to find a way to get them into the lineup. If you're playing both Hughes and OEL on the left side, all of a sudden that becomes very, very tricky, if not impossible to do. So I think that that pairing and that experiment is going to get a lot of time to figure it out they should get a lot of time to figure it out because if the answer is ultimately no you're kind of back right back to square one with the blue line for sure and you know in that sort of in the context of the tension i've been discussing right between the win now and the big picture right one sort of thing that stands out to me beyond quinn hughes and also applies to sort of the other big high profile high stakes experiment that we're seeing which is that makayev kuzmenko Pedersen line right in, in both cases right you're looking at Pedersen playing with a guy still learning the nhl game in kuzmenko and a guy in Ilya makayev who you know the organization is betting big that he can have a glow up offensively in more premium opportunities. But if you look at his usage in Toronto, right, he played 500 minutes with that Tavares Nylander line over the last couple of years. And, you know, he's not the only guy who rotated through that wing, right? They played at least 100 minutes with Hyman, Zach Hyman, with Michael Bunting, with Alex Galchenyuk. You remember when the Toronto oh, yeah. Maple Leafs briefly fixed Alex Galchenyuk? Uh, they, you know, and, and also uh, Alex Kerfoot, right? By far, that line scored at the lowest rate, 5-on-5, when Mikhaev was the third part of it. And they also, and this is the more important part, had the lowest shooting percentage with Mikhaev as the third member as opposed to those other guys. And not by a little bit, right? Look, we're talking 8% on ice shooting, 5-on-5 for the line with Mikhaev. Something more like 11, 11 11-plus with every other guy. Well, Pedersen's a guy who drives shooting percentage, right? Pedersen's a guy who reliably Mm -hmm. is an efficiency machine in the league. If you have Hughes on the right side and he's not as dynamic there and you have Pedersen on a line that's unlikely to help him drive shooting percentage, are you taking your two most important skaters, your two highest upside skaters, and sort of, to some extent, like tuning down their superpowers? That's sort of a a concern here. So you have to give the experiment some time. We're drawing zero inferences in terms of what actually matters once the season begins here yet. Just discussing some of the sort of positioning of of how the team's set up to this point. But, you know, I'm sort of looking at this and thinking in terms of winning now and in terms of the big picture, you know, how much thought ultimately over the course of the preseason and as we get more reps and more viewings of some of these experiments like how much 
does this club need to also be very cognizant of making sure that Pedersen and Hughes right off the bat are put in the best possible positions and to succeed? That's why I wonder with the Hughes OEL thing, the more I think about it, I, I wonder if, as you said, to avoid kind of tuning down and hampering Quinn Hughes in any way, you let him do his thing on your, le- on, your on the left side where you know he's a machine, he's dominant, he tilts the ice every time he's out there, and you put OEL on the right side and basically mm-hmm. say, support Quinn Hughes, right? Rather than switching the guy who's driving the pair, the guy who drives your team, the engine of your team, in a new position, ask the veteran who's going to be just inherently asked to do a little bit less than Quinn Hughes to switch over and play on the other side. And that, that the more I think about it, that might be kind of the answer to this riddle where you're you're playing both of them on the top pair. You have a, 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 a top pairing with your two best guys on it that you feel good about. But you're also not asking, you're not putting Quinn Hughes in such a difficult spot that you're reducing the quality of his play. It makes sense, too, right off the hop, right? If you've got two defenders, one of them always carries the puck, right? And one of them carries the puck a little bit less. Yeah. Make sure that the guy making the most plays is in the spot where he's optimally suited to making those plays. The most comfortable spot. Put him in the best position to succeed. Which was sort of one of my points when I was expressing concern about this going into training camp. And, you know, not that we've seen it play out. There's a lot of road to run here. I think Hughes deserves the time to figure this out. And and as Bruce Boudreau said, he was comfortable with it. He liked mm-hmm. how it felt yesterday. Just because it didn't look that way to us, uh, Quinn Hughes, I'll take his hockey <laughs> IQ over ours every yeah. day of the week. So no if, about it. if he saw some potential over there, then I think that's all you need to know to understand why this needs to happen again today and probably needs to happen it's in a, a couple of preseason games yep. uh, before it's abandoned. Um, we'll see exactly where this goes, but it just wasn't, you know, in, in in the case of the Kuzmenko line, right? We didn't see the like immediate, like wow, chemistry. No, no, no. And and in the case of Hughes on the right side, similarly, it looked like something that hey, it could work, it could be great. There's a lot of reasons why it makes sense for this team. It just wasn't a day one smash, like wow. Quinn Hughes on the right side solves everything. That's just not what we saw in day two at Canucks training camp. We'll gather a lot more information here in the hours ahead and we'll narrate it all live on the air with we, all of you we absolutely will and this text came in uh Drancer is breaking the scrimmage down like game seven of the stanley cup finals honestly i have to admit he's doing a hell of a job underrated hype man i'm here for it uh, i've got a cold one on deck fired up for this let's Thanks, go yeah, yeah. you, you it, know what hey it's the first but beyond any of the on ice implications it's our first chance to listen to our guy batch Call some hockey on the radio. Yeah, this year. well, actually, Penticton was, but whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean. With, look, with the veteran Canucks players. Look, if you're not willing to look at a bunch of molehills and pretend that they're Whistler Blackcomb, you're not a Canucks fan. That's this my is, opinion. This is not this the is show. My opinion. This is not the show. For no, you. this is a not the show for you. But also, <laughs> like, have you met us? Have you, Have you talked to Vancouver hockey fans? Like, this is what we do. It's the best. Well, what? Also, we're not going to come on the air and be like, yeah, this doesn't matter. Who cares? Well, come on. <laughs> come on. We're trying to get people excited. Well, uh, and you know what? There, there, there used to be a habit. There used to be a habit where people would say stuff like training camp doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? And, and it does. It does. It tells you a lot. Now, what it doesn't tell you and what I think would be ridiculous would be to come on and be like, you know who's been really quiet at training camp? Clearly established, definitely going to be in the top nine NHL player, Connor Garland. Yeah. Right? Like, that would be ridiculous. Yeah, or like, JT Miller hasn't even, been dominant. It's like, okay, who cares? Even if it's true. Yeah. Even if it's true, which, by the way, it is. Because those guys are working on fitness. They're getting in their reps. They're probably doing a ton of work to get to know various people in the organization, test some of the prospects in various ways that we can't see on the ice. Like, their priorities are completely different because we know, we know two things about those guys. One, they're on the team. Two, they're really good. They're really good. But 
there are things lower down the lineup, and there are tactical experiments that this team is undertaking up in Whistler. And those items, those items are worth treating like they matter because, let me tell you, they do, particularly for a club that's talked ad nauseum about the importance of their start, getting off to a good one, and making the playoffs this season lest they describe the year as, and this is a quote from them, a disaster. disaster. Uh, just before uh, we get into some other things here, I do want to double back and touch on Niels Hoaglander a little bit because, as I said, the two for me, the two major on-ice takeaways through training camp so far, one is the Quinn Hughes OEL experience. The other one is Niels Hoaglander rising to the challenge laid down in front of him by the team. And, and we'll try to play some of the Bruce Boudreaux audio uh, talking about Hoaglander at some point here oh. from yesterday. But, you know, one of the things he said, and this is, this is paraphrasing, not verbatim, but basically, look, what did we all do in the offseason? We counted the number of clear-cut NHL forwards, and we factored in the fact that Niels Hoaglander struggled a little bit, was a healthy scratch, and we said, oh, this could be a tough spot for Niels Hoaglander to be in. And Bruce Boudreaux basically said, yeah, guess what? He can do that just as easily as everyone else did. So he knew coming in that— In fact, more easily yeah, because to him, it's personal. It's very personal. So he was well aware of all the, of the exact same factors and considerations— that we were all aware of, and he knew there was going to be significant work to do, obviously over the summer, and then when he hits the ice here in training camp. And, again, with all the, the, the caveats that apply of training camp, he's doing what he's been asked to do so far. He's doing everything that could reasonably have been expected of him. He's engaged. He's fast. He's confident. He looks like the Niels Hoaglander who came into his first NHL training camp and locked down a top six spot on Bo Horvat's wing, right? That's kind of what he looks like well, again. With the, with the exception that that time he was the shiny object, yep. right, that everyone was paying attention to, and he got the premium opportunity. This time, he's actually on a line that we look at as an AHL level line, playing with two guys who have no North American professional experience, and he's still come out and done this. And so this is going to be another one of those fascinating subplots to watch at the scrimmage, right? Niels Hoaglander playing for the rested team, the, the, the slaughterer team as opposed to the lambs to slaughter team, right? Coming out with a chance to make a really big impression against tired legs, that's going to be a very, very interesting thing to watch here because if he brings the same hunger that he brought in the first two days of training camp, and I guarantee you he will, he's going to be the best player in the scrimmage. Let's hear what Bruce Boudreaux had to say yesterday talking to the media about Niels Hoaglander so far at training camp. Looks really I, determined. I was going to say, let me talk about Hoggy because I think he's the best player on the ice right now. He looks so much faster than he did last year. Determination. Um, uh, he's uh, he's definitely, you know, he's definitely ready. And you know, I think last year was a little bit of a setback for him, and he doesn't want it to happen again. So much of uh, of him, where it seems, based on what you said, and Travis as well. It's about his play away from the puck, which obviously is harder to gauge. Well, young you know. guys, it's always yeah. the hardest thing. You know, I mean, so uh, hopefully he learned a lot last year, you know, and uh, it'll, again, he's going to be another one playing a lot of preseason games, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, I certainly have liked exactly what he's shown. You know, let's, let's call it like it is, only two days. Like, I mean, so, I mean, a lot of guys can look great in two days. Let's see how they look in ten days, you know. That's Bruce Boudreaux speaking about Niels Hoaglander yesterday to the media. And there's a, there's a few things I like about that clip and also about Boudreaux's mentality towards Hoaglander. I mean, one is being effusive in his praise when it's warranted while also keeping the, the caveat of, you know, it's been two days in mind. And I know you mentioned this uh, in your write-up with Harmon Dial at the Athletic Drancer, but it's also great to see 
Bruce Boudreaux have an open mind to Niels Hoaglander, right? Because, again, we all know how it went. He was Hoaglander was one of the, the handful of players on the team who had a rough time under Boudreaux, didn't see their performance improve, was a healthy scratch, didn't get the playing time, all of that. It, it would be easy for a coach to kind of come in with that preconceived idea of what the player is, but from what we can hear from Boudreaux, he's he's not doing that, right? He is willing to be impressed uh, and willing to be, you know, convinced, as it were, uh, to give Niels Hoaglander a more prominent role, which is it's great. That's exactly, I think, what you want to see from your coach. And, you know, on Hoaglander, I, I understand that, okay, if you're going to have both Kuzmenko and Hoaglander in the lineup, which is certainly the most talented configuration of the forward group, putting the puzzle together can get a little tricky, Right. Is Niels Hoaglander necessarily the ideal fourth-line piece, fourth-line winger that this team would like? Probably not. But another thing I like about Bruce Boudreaux is typically he's willing to rely on talent, bet on talent. Get your talented guys out there. They'll figure it out, even if it's not the role they were born to play. And ultimately, what Hoaglander is showing is something that we all knew coming into training camp. He's too talented not to play for this team. You're going to have to figure out a way to get him in the lineup because he's too talented not to play. I don't honestly have any concerns were he to start the year on the fourth line. Like, zero. And, you know, you think about you think about where Hoaglander would slot in on a contending team. For sure he could do more, right? For sure he could be a top-nine piece. But a lot of teams that have really loaded forward groups, uh, and, you know, the Canucks in the past had guys high energy, high work rate, high draft pedigree players like Niels Hoaglander start on a fourth line. And, and mm-hmm. you think about guys like Matt Cook, right? Guys like Matt Cook who went on to be, you know, top six players for stretches of their NHL careers, starting on that energy in an energy role for the Canucks during that West Coast Express era. Uh, you know, those were skilled guys who had some physical edge. Well, guess what? So does Hoaglander, right? Hoaglander along the wall playing an energy game, maybe being the key offensive driver on a line that in other respects plays north-south. I don't think that's the worst spot for him necessarily. And, you know, what it, it sort of speaks to this too. What's the profile of the best fourth liner? He's your next best third liner, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. the next best guy to jump up. Uh, if that's how this sorts out, I think that's a luxury for this team. I think that would be a positive development. What, where I'm going to get a little bit curious is does Hoaglander end up being needed an uh, awful lot higher up the lineup? Because if what we've seen so far through two days of camp is any indication – you know, that's happening just because he's going to earn it. Just because he's going to earn it. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And just the other point on Hoaglander, we'll go to a break here soon. Uh, the other point on Hoaglander is, yeah, let's say he does start the fourth line with Curtis Lazar and Dakota Joshua. Well, those are two players that you brought in explicitly because you love what they can bring for you on your fourth line. So it's not as if you're, you know, ah, we don't like our fourth line anyways, and then we're putting Hoaglander there. You're still going to have a group that you would presumably – uh, feel awfully confident about in that uh, in that final line in your forward group. It's Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650, live from training camp in Whistler, just to get everyone caught up on uh, on what's going on here and what's our schedule and our plans for the rest of the day. Uh, they're just uh, flooding the ice and getting the Zamboni out right now. Group C has finished their practice. They're off the ice. Group A will come on in the next five or ten minutes here or so. They'll get a practice in, and then around 1230, 1240 uh, group a and group b will scrimmage so group a next on the ice includes jt miller brock besser tanner pearson quinn hughes oel actually one thing that was notable uh one of the hallmarks of a bruce boudreau or at least notable to me Drancer, we're getting pretty in the weeds here but sure. one of the hallmarks of uh of the bruce boudreau training camp so far has been 
very little line juggling, right? These are the guys I want to play together. I'm going to give them a chance. Oh, we've seen almost none of it. One thing I did notice was Jet Wu has t- was skating typically in Group C with Quinn Schmeeman, and now he is in Group A, skating on a third pairing with uh, invitee Matt Anderson. And I do wonder, because, you know, I mean, heaven forbid that I, I get burned by Jet Wu again, but I have actually been impressed with what I've seen from him here, and I just wonder if that was a, to, to get him another opportunity to scrimmage. Uh, it'll be his third scrimmage today uh, now that he is skating with uh, Group A. Anyways, for sure, for today. sure that's what they're doing. They yep. want another look at him. For what reason, I'm not exactly sure just yet. He's played okay. Yeah. He's played okay. The, the, the issue is, is has he improved you know one thing you get into with nhl organizations is just how hard it is to make an impact and every time you're not leveling up and not just leveling up but leveling up at an absurd rate you're getting passed by the latest guy they've signed by the uh, latest guy they've drafted by the newest shiny toy you think about a guy like cole lind right cole lind improved over the course of his connects tenure it's just that the organization kept bringing in guys like Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin with top draft capital, and it ended up making a huge, huge difference. We will take a quick break here again. It's Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. More to come on the other side here in your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to another special edition here of Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-hosts, Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who of course also covers the team at The Athletic. We are live at the third and final day of Canucks training camp here in Whistlow, Whistler at the Meadow Park Sports Center. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And uh, Group A now on the ice, getting their session started. That includes the likes of JT Miller, Tanner Pearson, Brock Besser, uh, Oliver ekman Larson, and Quinn Hughes on the blue line. They'll get their practice in. They'll get off the ice, do a quick flood around 12.30, 12.40. The scrimmage, the main event today, which everyone is here to see. It's standing room only uh, here in Whistler. That will get going, and our guy Brendan Batchelor. We'll hop on to do some play-by-play. We're hoping to speak to Batch uh, at some point this segment as well. He was just uh, just down with the rest of the media talking to, I believe, Bo Horvat and Connor Garland. So we'll get Batch on at some point, uh, get his perspective on what he's seen through three days of training camp as well. Uh, one, guy, one guy I did want to mention who's also out on the ice with Group A right now, Drancer, and, you know, under the radar, certainly, but somebody who's impressed me and looked good, Phil DiGiuseppe has had a really strong training camp, I think. And, you know, I know you and I have been talking about this. He also had a really, really good strong training camp uh, last season. Didn't end up making the team. But you look at him and just the speed and the skill that he can bring in a bottom six role for the Canucks. I mean, at the very least, it, it might be too crowded, right? I mean, we're already talking about, you know, Jason Dickinson. Where does Niels Hoaglander slot in? They're, they're obviously committed to Joshua and Curtis Lazar to a certain point. But at the very least, as a depth depth option or maybe even a dark horse to, to crack the roster. I really like what I've seen from uh, Phil DiGiuseppe so far. I want to tell you something. You're you're right. You're dead on. Thank in fact. you. Thank you're you. dead on. And yet nothing screams Canucks training camp. Like, Phil you know who's Giuseppe? making a case for himself? Phil DiGiuseppe. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just, that's. Well, he, had a, he had a sick goal in the scrimmage. Oh, yeah. No, he, and he's goal. looked great in drills and he's yeah. a large guy and he's extremely fast. And I mean, without question, he's an excellent player. So, uh, you know, I see him too. Like, I see Di Giuseppe as an NHL-level depth piece. When you look at his when you look at his scoring and you look at an awful lot 
of the things that he's done well at the NHL level to this point. Um, you know, he's uh, he deserves a shot. He deserves a long look for sure. And, and, so, and, and at the very least, you would expect him to be a, a veteran, reliable leader of the team in Abbotsford if and when he is playing there. Somebody who can put up points and who can score uh, at the AHL level for sure. 650, 650 is, uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, uh, Ella, Texas, and speaking of making a mountain out of a molehill, uh, will we see Miller and Pedersen lines matched up at scrimmage? Yeah, what's the hard matchup? Uh, going to be at this scrimmage coming up on day three of training camp. Yeah, man, they're going to take the opening draw against each other. No yeah. doubt about it. That's how it's been the first two days. It's top two lines. The guys who've been wearing red in their individual sessions go out there best on best. Let's do it. That's what we're going to see today. Well, and too. that's typically how you do do it, and not for matchup reasons, but also for evaluation reasons. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at the two rosters, and you can see them tweeted out at, uh, by the Canucks PR team, and it's group A and group, or sorry, it's group B and group, no, it's a. group A and group, group a, B group playing. B. Group A and group B. Today. Um, you'll notice, like, there is one clear-cut NHL line on each team, right? There is sort of one clear-cut American League line on a sec on, on another line, and then there's a third line that's sort of invitee level. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you stack it not because you're trying to win the scrimmage. It's not a huge tactical thing. You stack it because you want guys to have a chance at their level uh, to sort of show management and coaches what they can do. And that's sort of, again, where... There's one guy who doesn't match the description of the line he's on. It's Niels Hoaglander. Yep. And so we'll see exactly what that looks like uh, once this begins. Um, and, and likewise for Phil DiGiuseppe. He's got a chance to make a similar case with the Group A that's going to be tired once the scrimmage begins. But, you know, Philip DiGiuseppe has an awful lot going for him in terms of an NHL depth profile. Uh, didn't really get a chance to play in the league last year. I was shocked when he didn't make the team out of training camp. Shocked. And this year, anyway, it looks like he's turning heads once again. And we'll see if this time we'll see. We'll the, the outcome's a little different. We'll see if it translates this time for uh, for our guy, Philip DiGiuseppe. Um, just going kind of down the list of, of things that have stood out and, uh, you know, either impressed us or just stood out for whatever reason so far at training camp here. And you can get your thoughts and questions in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. You know, there's a lot of under-the-radar AHL signings, young players who are going to figure to contribute at the AHL level, who aren't what you'd call prospects, but guys they've added to the organization, maybe not even on NHL deals, but to contribute in Abbotsford. And honestly, you know, we talked about Tristan Nielsen at, at the Young Stars, uh, Alex Connick-Leipert, both former um, former Vancouver Giants, uh, Chad Nychuk on the blue line, Quinn Schmeeman on the blue line. As a group, they've looked good. They've, they, that looks like it's been a smart play by this management group, and they've done a decent job of identifying those players. And look, this is the kind of thing where nobody's talking about these guys as being NHL relevant anytime in the near future, and it's it's always a numbers game with those types of guys, right? you got to get the quantity, and then you hope you get uh, a certain percentage of them to hit at some point down the road. But if that's going to be a theme of how the Canucks try to build up that organizational depth, I would say... The early returns, extraordinarily early returns, uh, have been pretty promising on that front. Without question. And, you know, you look at all of these profiles, right? Every time I see one of these guys stand out, like Nychik had a great deke uh, in the scrimmage, right? Absolutely undressed a player. Uh, a defender on uh, on the other team in the scrimmage just created a, a five-alarm, grade-A scoring chance for himself. You know, 
when I see that and I'm like, okay, you know, who's this guy? I'm a little more interested now that I've seen what he can do. They always pop in terms of their statistical profiles, right? Like Nychuk's a 21-goal, 50-assist guy in the WHL. Tristan Nielsen, a, a top WHL scorer. Chase Waters, a top WHL scorer. Schmeeman, a 60-point defenseman who wore a, a C. Same with Waters, right? These are really high-end WHL players that the Canucks take zero risk shots on signing AHL contracts, and then you see what your player development group can do. Um we're already seeing some some dividends. Like, I won't be stunned to see one of the star pupils from the Nielsen Waters sort of tier converted to an NHL contract at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I sort of look up and down. I suspect that there are players on NHL contracts in the organization that if it really came to it and the club had a ton of injuries, they might look at and say, you know what, let's convert Waters because we'd prefer him to be the injury replacement at, at the NHL level. I, I think the same in Nielsen. So... These guys have put themselves in a position to get converted. Probably not a position to be impact NHL players, but, you know, there's time to run. There's road to run. I think this is one of those extra layers of minor league development for the Canucks that, you know, maybe maybe if you do it consistently and well for five years, you get one player, right? Like, it's not, yeah, it's not high return, but it's zero risk, and there's no cost associated with it aside from, you know, money and hockey operations time. It's well worth doing because you get one guy. You get one guy out of thin air, basically, and boy, oh boy, especially because they're likely to be cost-controlled or on an entry-level deal or on a, you know, very affordable uh, second contract, what have you. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing that can make a good team uh, a contender, right? Yeah. Like that's the sort of thing that can matter at the margins, and in an efficiency contest league, the margins are everything. One quality regular NHL player is an incredible asset, right? Like, Huge. usually you have to spend a really good draft pick, or you have to go out and pay in free agency, or whatever. You have to trade another asset to get them. It costs you things. For, to be able to turn out, as you said, maybe it's only one every five years or whatever it is, but that could end up being such a key piece because it allows you then to, to spend those other assets out there, right? It's a piece that you don't, you're not going into the summer thinking, oh my goodness, where are we going to find our fourth-line center, right? Because you've, been ma- you've managed to develop them uh, in-house, and it frees you up to do a whole bunch of different things elsewhere up and down your organization. So again, that's a very a very long-term focused project for this management group. It's something they said they've wanted to emphasize. We're seeing them emphasize it already. It remains to be seen, you know, how much they can kind of transform Abbotsford into this player development machine that is getting the most out of all of these really low-risk bets, no-risk bets that they're taking. But again, early signs, early returns, it's pointing in the right direction. There's at least a group of players who are, you know, showed well at Penticton and have come into training camp in the wake of that and shown well again in scrimmages against NHL-level players. Very good sign. Very very auspicious returns. And one thing I'd just add on this, right? I talked about the statistical profiles of all these guys, right? Take, take a big gamble on a bunch of leading WHL scorers, right? Uh, Archdeep Baines actually got an entry-level deal, but he fits that mold too, right? There's a real effort to mine the whl for sort of top scoring players in terms of undrafted player acquisition and ahl contracts do that at the draft too that's the only thing right like the one thing is it's in such stark contrast with the club's approach to the draft table where we've seen them take a lot of athletes like really high-end athletes projects raw guys who you know oh boy if they can figure out that hockey thing we could really have something um you know, we've seen some good returns from that, too, at training camp in, in 
Danila Klimovic, who, who also played exceptionally well in Penticton. So, you know, that, that experiment probably deserves a few more years before we conclude wh- whether or not it was a success or, or not. But, you know, I do sort of look at this AHL tier and it feels disciplined and it feels a part of a plan. And it, it does stand to, out to me in stark contrast with how the club has approached sort of uh, raw talent and athletic ability and prioritizing that as ahead of hockey IQ at the NHL draft table. Uh, one, another text comes in, 650-650 via Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, how has the PTO looked? That, of course, is Danny DeKaiser on the blue line, and we can uh, get into that conversation throughout the course of the show. But uh, very pleased now to be joined by our guy, the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, you're doing some play-by-play. You've, uh, you got your vocal warm-ups all uh, taken care of right now? La, 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 la. <laughs> you're doing some scales, huh, bud? La, 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 la. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I thought – if. If anyone would have bet that someone other than me would have sung on this, this show, this interview, I, I think you would have gotten very good odds. This interview has already far exceeded my yeah. expectations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled I already. Actually, you know what? I, um, Wait for me and Batch to start harmonizing. <laughs> well, have, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we won't have any listeners left nope. if we do that. 100%. Uh, all jokes aside, my, my vocal warm-up um, is... Ukapeka Lukanen picked a peck of pickled peppers. How many pecks of pickled peppers did Ukapeka Lukanen pick? Wow, that's Woo! good. That's I'm I'm wildly impressed. A pro's pro, right there. Seriously, and I try and do it as fast as possible until I screw up, and then we're yeah, ready to go. and then you're ready to go. Yeah, that nice. is simply uh, simply fantastic. It's Brendan Bachelor. He's going to be calling play by play of the scrimmage. You're joining us on Canucks Hour with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. So <laughs> I just count to ten, by the way, and then I yell the last number. Because I think anyone doing a sound check on me has to know what it sounds like when I get really upset <laughs> about nothing in particular. So that's my that's my personal vocal warm Smart. So much, much easier than yours. Batch, we started the show, you know, from my perspective, kind of two, the two big on-ice takeaways, the, the number, you know, the two headlines, I guess, for me from what we've seen here in Whistler. One, it's Niels Hoaglander and his strong play, and we heard Bruce Boudreau talk about it. And two, it's the progress or maybe lack of progress from Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson playing together. Excuse me, as I fight back a sneeze. Anyway, the Woo! right, uh, right. The quick news on the right side. Don't, not sure about it. Man, an award-winning segment already. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you and I were watching the scrimmage together yesterday, Drancer, and there are some growing pains there. Now, it's his first sk- scrimmage of camp, and if there's a guy I back to figure it out in time, that guy is Quinn Hughes, but... That's something I want to pay attention to when we do watch the scrimmage and call it here in, you know, about an hour, maybe a little bit less, is do we see adjustments from Quinn Hughes right away? Like, we were talking about it, you know, when he's back defending at the right point, he was spinning to the middle of the ice to go back and get a puck Mm. rather than spinning towards the boards. Simple little things like that, but at the NHL level, that's a half second that costs you time in a puck race, and... You know, Quinn Hughes is a great skater. He'll probably be fine either way. But those are some of the little adjustments. You know, his his reaction in the defensive zone was to spin towards the middle of the ice and try and carry it up the left. And you saw a couple of times that he was almost like, oh, wait, right, I'm not supposed to be here and would retreat and try yeah. and go up the right side. Um, so, you know, as he gets more reps, more scrimmages, potentially preseason games on the right side, that'll be interesting to see. Does it come more naturally to him? Does he figure it out? Do those things that are clearly not innate for him right now, playing on the right side, become innate as things progress. What do you think about this opportunity, considering the 
he's in a really tough spot right now for this scrimmage, particularly because we know what happens to the group that practices before the scrimmage. They lose, right? Mm. And on the other side, you've got, you know, guys in Hoaglander on, on the second line, but also that Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Mikhaev line, a bunch of guys who've performed all throughout training camp like they've got a little something extra to prove. Um, is this almost the optimal setting for us to see it again? Yeah, it's a good test. It's a good test, I mean, for all the guys in this group that's out here practicing right now. You know, how can the Pearson-Miller-Besser line create chances down low and they're the, the tired group? But certainly for Hughes, um, you know, assuming we do see him on the right side in the scrimmage, you know, how does he deal with some of that aggressive forward check, trying to limit some of the, the skilled players that we'll see on the other side, as you allude to, Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Hoaglander. Um, so it, it, it'll be it'll be good. I think we'll we'll learn more than we did yesterday about Quinn Hughes and his ability to adapt to the to the right side and and whether we'll see it tomorrow in a preseason game. Of course, they've got the split squad. If if we see him on the right side again tomorrow, then that's just another opportunity to to learn more about how he's going to adapt. Can you think of a more? Oh yeah, it's training camp. <laughs> Talking point. Then, oh boy, Phil DiGiuseppe really making a case for himself. <laughs> is there one? Is there one I'm missing, or is that the ultimate? I sat down and did an exclusive one-on-one with Phil DiGiuseppe yeah. yesterday about uh, about his <laughs> training camp. You know, yeah, it's a training camp story. That said, he's looked good, and he has. You know, we talk about the added depth with this group, and you know, we think about Kuzmenko and Mikheyev and some of these guys coming in, but you want guys pushing from underneath, yeah. and you know, DiGiuseppe who. I thought had an excellent training camp last year and wasn't on the opening night roster. He's clearly come in motivated after a season where he faced injuries last year in the AHL. He was the best player on the ice in the scrimmage yesterday for my money. So, you know, for a player like that, who nobody would have penciled in to be on the opening night roster, to be noticeable, to have Bruce Boudreaux name-checking that guy uh, in his, his media availability yesterday and saying, you know, he thought he was really good. If you're Phil DiGiuseppe, that's what you've got to do. But because you're Phil DiGiuseppe and you're not one of the guys like Dakota Joshua who's been brought in on a contract, it's not good enough to do it in one training camp scrimmage. You've got to do it again, and you've got to do it in every single preseason game. And you've got to do essentially what Tyler Mott did with this team a few years ago, which is, you know, he was not going to be on the team. They had sat him out of games the year before to protect his ability to go down to the AHL, and he forced their hand and said, no. I have to be on the team. I was one of the best 12 forwards at camp. Can DiGiuseppe do that? Maybe. You know, there, there's a lot of competition there, but uh, for him anyway, it's been a good start. Well, the difference, though, also is, as you said, Batch, right, there's so much more forward depth now, so it's harder to prove that you're going to be one of the 12 best forwards. I mean, on Niels Hoaglander, you know, Bruce Boudreaux said he's been the best player on the ice, and we're talking about him potentially starting the season in a fourth-line role, right, even though he's been the best player, arguably, in Bruce Boudreaux's perspective. And I think it really just does go to show you, I mean, there's, they're going to have a really talented player likely playing on that fourth line because there's just no other way to line it up now that they've decided to have you know Miller, Horvat, Pedersen down the middle. And whether that's Hoaglander, whether that's someone else, yeah, it's going to force some difficult decisions from the coaching staff, but it's also it's where you want to be as an organization going into the regular season. Yeah, the, the cream will rise to the top once we get closer to the year because of the expectations around this team because of Bruce Boudreaux and his contract status. Mm. And, and, you know, he's got to win games right out of the gate here, and they've got to have a good start, uh, you know, for, for him to want to stay here long-term and get an extension. So, um, 
the the players who perform the best, I believe, will get the opportunity. So, you know, assuming full health, which is never something you should assume nope. with a National no, Hockey no. League club, especially a National Hockey League team named the Vancouver Canucks, <laughs> um, that, you know, those issues always figure themselves out, right? Mm. Like, it's it's easy to say now, oh, is Hoaglander going to start on the fourth line? Probably not, because someone will probably get hurt between now and then, and he'll be higher up the lineup. But if they do get to the point where they have to make those sorts of choices, that's a good problem to have if you've got too many guys that you think are good enough to be in your lineup. And, uh, you know, it'll be up to the coaching staff and management to decide how that works, how that all comes in under the cap, you know, well, and the injuries thing you just brought up, something I haven't talked about enough probably, is how much those can complicate how you deal with LTI. Because, of course, anyone who's injured has to be accounted for on the roster, right? And earns an NHL salary for the duration. So, you know, you lose a guy like Brady Keeper, it creates a situation that could complicate exactly how this Canucks team captures uh, on Michael Furland. Wanted to ask you, by the way, about, you know, Keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be playing in the scrimmage today. Uh, he played really well. Was a standout in the first scrimmage, and we heard from him yesterday. What have you seen from him uh, to this point? And do you think the foot speed is in any way touched or diminished by what happened to him last year with the heinous injury that he sustained at training camp? Yeah, I'll give you the same answer that Bruce Boudreaux kind of gave yesterday, which is I haven't really watched him that closely because he's not someone we're penciling in to be on the NHL roster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm focusing on some of the other guys. But, you know, I think he's looked good out there. I think for Brady Keeper, this season is just going to be about being a full-time hockey player again, mm-hmm. playing games, getting to the point where, you know, he's healthy, he's able to contribute, he can get into the lineup in Abbotsford every night and and try and come back from that catastrophic injury, as you say, Drance, because, you know, for a guy that he talked about it yesterday, had never really been injured before, to have your first injury of, of you know, any sort of substance be you know, an injury that knocked you out for an entire season and, yeah. and you know, was, I'm sure, awful to recover from and, oh. and work through rehab to get back to this point. Um, he's shown a lot of mental strength, mm-hmm. and that's the most important thing for a guy like that, for my money, is, um, you know, he, he's come through that. He's gained from that experience. He's talked about, you know, coming from a community where he's faced a lot of adversity growing up anyway so it was just a another challenge he had to meet and uh you know i would want more guys like brady keeper in my organization who have gone through those sorts of things and have that mental strength to to fight through when you need them on the ice as well as i I will say you know his foot speed it's it it doesn't certainly doesn't look noticeably off you're not out there watching oh he's really struggling to get around the ice not at all so again as you said batch like play every day at the AHL level. Maybe you're involved later in the season as an injury call-up or whatever, but good piece to have farther down the organization. Other guy I wanted to ask you about, Batch, uh, who's, you know, obviously a lot of uh, attention being given to here at training camp is is Andre Kuzmenko. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked a little bit about maybe some of the conditioning issues where he's kind of the first guy hunched over during drills, and especially, I think, with Elias Pettersson, the the contrast is pretty significant because... Pedersen doesn't look like he's breaking a sweat, and he's standing right next to Kuzmenko. But overall, what's been your uh, your first impression of Andre Kuzmenko here? Yeah, uh, the skill's obviously there. Uh, the shot is certainly there. And, you know, I, I think about Andre Kuzmenko's game in in many ways the way I thought about Nikolai Goldobin's game. And Uh-oh. I'm not going <laughs> to co- compare the two players because one is clearly a much higher pedigreed player than the other. In Goldobin. <laughs> no, no, seriously. 
Goldobin was the higher. Okay. Goldobin was a first round pick. Yes, but okay. But in terms of of the player that you think this guy can be, at sure. the NHL, Pedigree is not the right word. But in terms of the player that you think, yeah, Kuzmenko can be at the NHL level that Goldobin wasn't able to. Right. Be. Goldobin's issues were defensively in his own zone, not gaining the trust of the coaching staff. Yeah. And I, I can remember being asked about Goldobin all the time because. When Goldobin was here, he was a major talking point. We talked about it all the time. Really? I don't recall that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he came I, up once I'm, or twice. I'm really glad I missed those days. Yeah. <laughs> like, really glad. You don't know the half of it, and, answer. And oh, no, I, I was still paying attention, and I always thought, I always thought, you know, the mark of a rebuilding team is when you spend way too much time debating players of zero consequence. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I remember thinking that at the time, but, watching from afar. But that said, Kuzmenko does have consequence. He does. For this team. But to me, the conversation around him is the same in that – what I said about Goldobin applies to Kuzmenko, which mm. is if he scores enough, the rest of it doesn't matter, right? So, you know, is the conditioning there 100%? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not. Um, you know, defensively, is he going to have to learn what a two-way game looks like at the NHL level as opposed to the KHL? Certainly he's going to. I have way- but, it, but if he produces, it none of it matters. Fair none enough. None of it matters. If he scores goals and yeah. helps this team win – then the rest of it you can live with. If he develops chemistry with Elias Pettersson, right? And then oh, all of a sudden you, you look at them as a, a dynamic duo. Yeah, you're right. Well, one thing I expect, too, is I expect Kuzmenko to be way, way tougher to take the puck off al- along the wall, and I expect him to win more battles. That was always sort of the thing about Cold Open that I couldn't understand oh, yeah. was just how rarely he came out with the puck. You know, Kuzmenko, I think the defensive side, you're right but I do expect him to at least be a battle winner yeah. at his size and considering the style of his game. And I don't think Goldobin had the same willingness and instinct to take it to the net that Kuzmenko did. Well, right? and, and let me make it clear. This is not me yeah, trying yeah, to compare. Yeah, no, no. That's Kuzmenko why are you saying Goldobin. he's Nikolai Goldobin? No, come on. Like, that is not what I said. Stop texting in right now. I can hear you all with your fingers firing on the buttons right now. What I'm saying is when you have skilled offensive players – if they produce, then you can live with any other warts in yeah. their game. And you know what? Maybe Kuzmenko grows into a great NHL player, learns how to play a two-way game very well. I agree. I think, you know, he's going to have to learn what it takes to win battles at the NHL level because winning battles with NHL defensemen That's right. in the corners is not the same as winning battles with KHL defensemen in the corners. And we've seen a little bit of that with him in terms of some growing pains here at camp. But all of that said... Either he has to become a player that understands a two-way game and can be reliable in his own zone, or he has to score enough that you can live with his defensive lapses. And that's exactly what I said about Goldobin, and neither of those things happen, and it's why he didn't last in the NHL. Kuzmenko, I believe, can last in the NHL because I think he can produce, but also he's going to have to grow his two-way game as well. It'll be fascinating to watch. It will. Batch, uh, we'll let you go. We'll let you do some more of your uh, singing vocal warm-ups. Oh, now, brown cow. (laughs) (laughs) And we will hear you in uh, in a little bit. Do you have any Goldobin warm-ups? Though for next time, Are there any Goldobin tongue twisters that we can uh, bring to the, the sure, floor here? I'm sure we could come up. Scribble, with something. I don't have one off. Scribble the top of my one head. out while uh, while you take a break yeah. here. Thanks, Batch. Thanks, boys. Uh, that is Brendan Bachelor, the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, our guy who will be doing scrimmage play-by-play oh, in about half an hour, 40 minutes here, live from Whistler. We had this text come in, all caps, justice for Goldie. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. The, I think the just outcome was the one that eventually sorry, happened. Justice for DiGiuseppe. Let's, yes. let's stay focused on what matters, yes, everybody. Yes, on what really matters here. It's justice for Phil DiGiuseppe. <laughs> we'll take a break. Uh, we've got some audio from Bo Horvat, from Connor Garland. They're 
they're done for the day. Uh, so we'll play back some of what they had to say to the media after they finish their session. Uh, and we will continue to look ahead to training camp and the scrimmage here at Whistler. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.